This is Stacy Eldridge. Welcome to Captivated. This world vies for our attention in a thousand different ways. But the most important thing, the preeminent thing, the essential thing is to give our attention to Jesus. Hi, friends, sons and daughters of the living God, the treasures of his heart. Welcome to today's podcast. I'm so happy to be with you on this fine day. Here we are in April and soon approaching Easter, that glorious celebration of the resurrection of Jesus. But prior to that marvelous Sunday comes what is referred to as Holy Week, a sober week. Thursday, as you know, is known as Maundy Thursday or Holy Thursday, where we remember the Last Supper, the betrayal and arrest of Jesus, and his agony in the Garden of Gethsemane. That is followed by Friday, known as Good Friday, the day we remember with holy reverence the crucifixion of our Jesus. Every day we are called to remember his death and resurrection and triumph, but we are in the season of Lent now, and next week in particular, we remember the travail and sorrow of our King. And as we remember his, we remember as well that he understands our own. He doesn't diminish it in light of his incomparable suffering, but he enters into it with us that we might bear it together. Sorrow. Sorrow is a heavy thing. When I'm in a place of grief or deep sadness, I feel as though I'm slogging through knee-deep mud, just going through the necessary motions of the day. Grief will do that. In my times of sorrow, though, I know that my tears mingle with my God's. As the salty waters flow, the thick mud of grief thins. Life-giving water overwhelms the weighty slow, and though I am mired in muck, I know I will not remain mired forever. Sorrow will mark me. In its marking, it can harden me or soften me, depending on where I turn. Oh, may I, may we turn to Jesus, because then, even when in the depth of grief, from somewhere deeper than the reservoir of our tears, we can know that we will not stay down. Though death of all kinds will knock us down, we belong to the resurrected one who has knocked death down, dealt it a death blow, as it were. Still, one of Jesus' names is the man of sorrows. Surely he above everyone else is acquainted with sorrow, with grief, with pain. And in those times when we are walking through the valley of the shadow of death, when we walk through times of trial and travail, we are called to remember. Remember. Remember the truth. John and I, um, one evening recently, had, unbeknownst to us, been reading the same passages in Hebrews. We'd been struck by the same verse, and I had been so struck by it that I'd written it down and taped it to the mirror in my bathroom. Hearing that God had John in it as well, it made me pay attention, even more attention to it. So I offer it to you. This is Hebrews 10, verse 23. 
let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. We have hope. Always. We have everlasting joy as our inheritance, and our future is assured. We remember our hope. One of Jesus' names is the man of sorrows, but let's not forget that even as he suffered for the cause of love, it was the joy that was set before him that moved him. He is the God of joy. Nehemiah 8.10 says, Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. God is joyful. He takes delight in the goodness of his creation. And dear ones, that includes you. Zephaniah 3.17 says it this way. For the Lord your God is living among you. He is a mighty Savior. He will take delight in you with gladness. With his love, he will calm all your fears. He will rejoice over you with joyful songs. Isn't it cool that we have a singing God? He is a singing God who sees the end from the beginning. In Psalm 56, 8, the psalmist writes, You keep track of all my sorrows. You have collected all my tears in your bottle. Our tears fall, and they are treasured by our Father. In biblical times, people treasured their tears as well, collecting them in a real beautiful bottle. They were the heart of life, sacred tears shed in sorrow, mingled together with holy tears shed in joy, the alpha and omega of a life fully lived. I know that sometimes the alpha and omega of life feels too much to bear, especially in a time of grief. And sometimes a distrust of God and his goodness is the fruit of sorrow. It's the fruit of disappointment. We have a choice to make in the midst of overwhelming heartbreak, either to hold on to hope or to give in to despair, to be hardened by it, or softened through it, to seek God in it, or blame him for it. Let's seek him in it. Because of Jesus, we have the supernatural and totally reasonable reason to say in every moment of our lives that it will be well. Honestly, I mean, say it with me right now. It will be well. I know that some of you are in tough years right now. I want to tell you a story of a man many of you have heard of, a man who lived through some very tough years, but it's worth repeating. Horatio Spafford. He was a successful lawyer and businessman in Chicago with a lovely family, a wife, Anna, and five children. But in 1871, he lost his only son to pneumonia, and oh, he deeply grieved his loss. Later, the same year, his business went bankrupt in the Chicago fire. Then, two years later, his wife and four daughters sailed on a French ocean liner from the United States to Europe. There were 313 passengers on board. He was to sail a few days later and meet up with them in England. 
While at sea, their ship collided with another, and within ten minutes it went down to the icy depths of the sea. Horatio received a telegram from his wife nine days later telling him that though she had survived, all four of their daughters had not. Horatio got on the next ship to sail to join his wife. As he crossed the ocean, their ship traced the same journey of the French liner, and the captain informed all the passengers where the ship had gone down, carrying with it 226 souls, including Horatio's daughters. The ship paused at the location, and Horatio sat on the deck grieving, heart-bearing a pain few of us will know, and penning these words, When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Wow. His soul was held. His anchor was secure because his hope was well-placed. Though the winds and the waves had come that would have taken most of us down, swamped by the icy cold waters of death, Horatio knew what we too can know, that no matter what, seriously, no matter what comes, a greater good is coming. It is promised it can be well with our soul. Matthew 7:25 says, And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. Even so, oh, even so, Jesus. Because of Jesus, friends, we can all say, it is well with my soul. Honestly, I mean, say it now. Just say it out loud. It's a defiant stance of faith. It is well with my soul. And because of that, because of that, we can stand against the accusation screaming that it is not well and say, you are wrong. I will embrace a holy defiance that says I will be defiantly joyful joy. There are literally hundreds of verses about possessing joy in the scriptures, even in the midst of whatever may be going on. You know, Psalm 32, 11, be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. God commands all nations to rejoice in their maker. He says, let the nations be glad and sing for joy. And he even commands the natural world to join in the joy. Psalm 96.11, let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Friends, God isn't commanding us to skip around and sing and deny the sorrow of living in a broken world. He is saying that joy is something else altogether rooted in the immovability of our faithful, good God, in our hope that is secure. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. We can have joy when we remember 
that our God is victorious, and in him, so are we, no matter what. Jesus was and is victorious, and because we live in his victory, there is nothing that can overcome our lives. Oh, we will be tested. We will sometimes feel overcome. We will know defeat and failure in areas. But failure and defeat, sorrow and pain, loss and decay do not and will not have the final word. We will overcome. And when we proclaim that in the midst of despair, we have overcome already. Because of Jesus, we have a reason to be thankful. Joy will follow. One morning, after a night where I slept very little, and I finally surrendered to the prospect of a sleep-deprived day and got out of bed, I noticed that my heart was feeling really heavy. I checked in with myself to see where I was and was not experiencing joy and immediately realized that if I was experiencing it at all, it was so far below the waterline of my awareness that it didn't even register. I decided to take stock in the clear light of day, knowing that sunshine often melts away the mountains of the night. What were the thieves robbing me of my birthright of joy? My list began. It centered around personal failures. Maybe this sounds familiar to you. For me, it was around personal failures and pain and quickly moved to relational heartaches and struggles. Sprinkled in there were some financial issues. I wrote out my list in my journal, and as the list grew, I felt justified in my lack of joy. I'm like, see? Who could have joy with all these things going on? I said it out loud. It felt relieving to make my list. But I also felt the satisfying pull of some kind of unholy indulgence. It felt good in a way that didn't feel good at all. My list was fairly long. And after I wrote it, from some place deeper inside me, I pronounced it hooey. Nonsense. Nothing. The Spirit reminded me of the truth, that I have much, much more to be grateful for, that he was coming for me in every place I needed him to come. The gaze of my heart, it was being sucked to very real worries and disappointments like a tar filled magnet. And in order to become free of it, I needed to make another list, a list of the many things I had reasons to be grateful for. It was in meditating on those things that I finally felt the sticky stuff of circumstantial sadness begin to thin. So here's, here's what I'm learning and continuing to learn. A grateful heart is a heart that is free. An ungrateful heart is a heart that is bound. Gratitude inevitably leads to freedom in every area of our lives. The root of the word gratitude, I learned, is the Latin word gratis, G-R-A-T-I-S, which means free. If gratitude and freedom are connected etymologically, Wouldn't it make sense that the two are connected spiritually as well? When we cultivate hearts bent towards seeing the good we've been given, 
It frees us from the sludge of negativity so we can experience joy. God created us to be a thankful and joyful people. He formed us so intentionally that joy will only flourish in a soil rich with gratitude. In fact, without having gratitude, a heart of thankfulness, we don't have the capacity for joy. This is amazing to me. God wired our brains in such a way that it's impossible to feel joy without a posture of gratefulness preceding it. According to research published in the journal Cerebral Cortex, I'm going to quote them now because these aren't my words, it says, gratitude stimulates the hypothalamus, a key part of the brain that regulates stress, and the ventral tegmental area, part of our reward circuitry, that produces the sensation of pleasure. What they're saying here is being thankful comes first. And we are called to be thankful in everything. Hear me, it's not for everything, but in everything. And we must be, if we're to experience the deep joy that is meant to be ours in the very center of our being and every season of our lives, be it a season of sorrow or celebration. Because thankfulness is the key that opens the door to the joy we are meant to walk in. A grateful heart is a heart that is free. An ungrateful heart is a heart that is bound. Even when I say that, I'm picturing Eeyore here, or Puddleglum, right, from the silver chair. Neither sees the good, but only the possibility for the worse. Disaster not only looms, but is probably coming in the next moment. Their fictional feet are bound to the ground with a heaviness that chains. I recognize myself in them. To be free, I need to look back at my life and the lives of others and remember the faithfulness of God. Though sometimes it may feel it would take a miracle to be lifted out of the mire and worry and transferred to a place of gratefulness. The choice is ours to make, and Holy Spirit will help us to make it. Anne Voskamp in 1000 Gifts wrote, Eucharistio, which means thanksgiving, always precedes the miracle. Gratitude is key, friends. Gratitude unlocks joy. And to be grateful, we need to remember what we are grateful for. We are grateful because we have been rescued. A number of years ago, John and I had the privilege of visiting Normandy. It was a pilgrimage to the American landing sites of Omaha and Utah beaches, as well as the cliffs of Point de Hoc. Additionally, we spent a long time at the American cemetery, walking among the thousands of crosses and stars with reverence. It was a holy pilgrimage where we went to pay our respects to the men and women who so valiantly fought for the freedom of Europe. So many, so very many had given the ultimate sacrifice of their lives. And the people of Normandy remember. They honor the sacrifice of the Allied forces. Thousands of young people, men primarily, gave their lives 
for people they didn't know to fight for the overthrow of evil. Flags of the allies that fought to free them continue to wave in the towns. Signs in restaurants proclaim, Welcome to our liberators. In the schools, the children yearly take field trips to one of the sites, the museums or the cemeteries, to honor the fallen and to never forget what was sacrificed on their behalf. And the result of their remembering, their intentional remembering, is gratefulness. The people are so thankful. The atmosphere is thick with it. Remembering the goodness of God in the midst of battle, suffering, loss, and sorrow, it bears the fruit of gratitude and a freedom of heart that's tangible. It made me think of a verse from the book of Joel. Remember, tell these stories to your children. In Normandy, they do. Beautiful memorials that honor and remember their liberators dot the landscape. Many bear the insignia, lest we forget. It's a little like how the Jewish people set up stones of remembrance throughout the Old Testament, markers to remind them of God's faithfulness and intervention. You can read about it in Joshua 4, verses 5 through 9. We need reminders like these in our lives as we seek to cultivate joy in the midst of sorrow. God has come. He is coming still. When we remember his faithfulness in the past, it gives us the courage to believe that the one who says he never changes will be faithful in our present situation and in our future. Where has Jesus come through for you? Really, take a moment. And remember, where has he come through for you? In a situation, in a relationship, in someone you care for? When you have a moment, write it down. Lord, help us to remember. Because remembering fertilizes our hope. It burgeons our faith. It strengthens our belief in the promises of God that he is good and he is for us. Remembering fuels our joy even when surrounded by thieves that want to steal it. Sometimes being a joyful person amidst this crazy world seems impossible. Well then, let the impossible commence. Because one of the secrets to being joyful is that it has absolutely nothing to do with the circumstances going on in our lives or our world. Defiant joy is not dependent upon feeling happy. Defiant joy is solely based on the victory of Jesus Christ and all that he has won for us. It rests upon the fact that you are completely utterly loved and cared for right now. In Christ, your life is inextinguishable, undefeatable, victorious. Worry, fear, panic, dread, whatever it is that pulls your heart down, they don't get to hold your heart hostage in their vice grip any longer because your heart is safely held in the hands of your faithful God who promises that a life of unending joy is your inheritance. It is coming. 
it's coming. Jesus led the way. And though the way often includes disappointment, pain, or sorrow, none of them get to have the final say. Only God gets to have the final say over our lives. Friends, your future is secure. Your father is faithful. His promises are true. The unseen world is a far more reliable anchor than the seen one. Your trustworthy God holds you and all you love. You can choose to be immensely and always deeply grateful for that. And gratefulness is the breeding ground of joy. I love John 16, verse 24. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive, that your joy may be full. God wants to meet us. He wants to meet us in the dailies, in the normal ins and outs moments of our lives. He wants intimacy with us, to walk with us in it. And that, that is something to be grateful for. A few years ago, we received, I'm going to turn a corner here because this is a harder story, we received an urgent request for prayer and a phone call from a friend. Her brother was a missionary in Afghanistan, and his village was being overrun by ISIS. Militant fanatics were going from house to house to where Christians lived and pulling families into the streets. The children were being brought forward and commanded to denounce Christ or be killed. At the time of her brother's call, no child had renounced Christ, but had instead been martyred in front of their parents. Her brother didn't call asking for prayer to be passed over and spared. He asked for prayer that when his time came, he would not falter but fix his gaze on Jesus and possess the same courage as the children did. She didn't hear from him again. Like Horatio Spafford, our anchor, our hope, is held secure within the veil where Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father. And our friend's brother knew, the children knew, the parents knew, the martyrs and all the saints that have gone before us knew that they would not die but live. Like Jesus, no one could take their lives away from them. No one could steal their hope. No one could kill their everlasting joy. Like them, like the ones that were lost and the ones who continue to live with the loss, we too can sing, it is well with my soul. And we can sing it defiantly. Because we are the ones who have tasted sorrow, and we are ones who know the one who has redeemed it all. Sorrows mark us, but they do not define us. Death comes to us, but it is not victorious over us. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? We are not Friday Christians. We are the people of the third day. We are the sons and daughters of the risen Lord, 
Our birthright and our destiny is found in our victorious King. He lives in us. He lives through us. We remember Good Friday in light of Easter. We remember the suffering of Christ in light of the victory that he won. Jesus has won for us all that we need in order to reign in life. His life is within us. His heart beats in ours. Resurrected blood flows through our veins. The Holy of Holies now resides within our circumcised hearts. We are changed. We are being made like him. We get to live life together with Jesus in a divine, powerful dance that falls like breakers upon a seawall and shatters strongholds and the wages of sin. We get to bring the kingdom to bear on a hurting world. We pray in the power of his name as he leads us, and people are healed. Shackles come off. Identities are bestowed. The grip of lifelong trauma breaks loose. Demons take for the hills. We are third-day Christians, growing and walking in the authority of a resurrected and ascended life. Dear ones, fix your gaze on Jesus, come hell or high water. Fix your hope on the goodness that is promised to you. It is what will save you in your times of trouble that will surely come. But remember, remember the promise of Jesus and give thanks. So also you have sorrow now, he said, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. Can I just close our time together? just would love to pray for you. I include myself in this prayer. Oh, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, I pray for each one listening right now that needs you to come to resurrect their hope. I pray now, Holy Spirit, that you would come through these words and bring revelation of the hope that we have in you and all that you have promised us. Jesus, we want to be people of the third day who are able to say, it is well with my soul because we know who you are and we know who we are in you. Jesus, I pray that you would foster thankful hearts in us, that you would give us eyes to see and to remember all the things that we have to be grateful for. We are so grateful that you came. We are so grateful that you rescued us. We are so grateful that we are held in your hands and held and surrounded by your love. Oh, Jesus, thank you for all that you suffered so that we might live. I pray a blessing over everyone listening now, a blessing of a deeper revelation of the truth that the King is captivated by you. Jesus, we are captivated by you too. It's in your name that we pray. That's it for today, friends. May I say, have a blessed, joyful, thankful Easter. Till next time.